Welcome to Queued Up with Ziz and Pam, where we have powerful conversations about what it means to be prepared in the 21st century. This particular episode is about lifelong learning. This particular subject came up because of a text we received from a student, you know, who brought up like, well, what does it mean to be a lifelong learner, Pam? Oh, I love this subject. And actually, what it means is that we can no longer have the three-part life. The education that happens before we're 25, the work life that happens until we're 60 to 65, and then retirement. That was sort of the model for so long. But now that's no longer the model. And the reason is, is that technology is so rapidly transforming our lives, our businesses, the global economy, that we have to constantly stay on top of it. And lifelong learning is about uh, really teaching students how to learn, not what to learn. And that's a very nuanced difference. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, what popped into my mind is the Jetsons. <laughs> and I don't know why. But, but I do know that I've, I've gone into schools and I've done presentations and, and I've brought that up. Like the whole Jetsons concept about flying, that little pod flying in the air. Well, that's not so far-fetched because in Dubai, they've been testing for the last several years. That's that concept. And, mm -hmm. and I know, I think I gave a presentation at a school two years ago. And I talked about the Amazon Go concept store. Now, two things happened that caught my attention. The teacher had no idea. And I'm not blaming the teacher, so please don't get upset with me. I just do a lot of reading. It's something that I, I am so interested in. But I wanted to bring this up because students need to be agile. They need to learn beyond the subject. They need to understand of, of the fluidity of it all. And we need to be able to help them do that. Yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. So in doing so, so what, let's, so the how, the how, let's talk about the how. Okay, the how of lifelong learning goes back to our read formula, which is responsibility. The how is that we put the learning and the motivation learning and the need to continually learn in the hands of our students because we're not gonna follow them through life telling them everything they need to know, because guess what? We don't know. We don't know. This is why we're in the situation we're in today is that we decided to stick them in a mold and the world changed. And we've suddenly created these obsolete uh, models of, of uh, adulthood that do not work in the economy. So, you know, so going back to the, to the read model, so responsibility, exploration, adaptability, and discovery. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, they're responsible for their education. Mm -hmm. and, and that also means that the teacher, and also including us as the parent, we need to step back and facilitate more. Mm -hmm. oh, and, yeah. I, and I think that's a hard thing for them to do. And this, a simple example is growing up, <laughs> I never heard of this whole concept of play dates. I'm like, what's a play date? And, you know, my, I would let my children go outside. I lived in a neighborhood where I knew the neighbors. I would play with my children. I would play with the neighborhood children. Um, it was a way for me to stay involved and stay in shape. 
and just just the other day on Twitter, I was uh, communicating with with a with a friend who we've never met a, a, a Twitter friend, so to speak, who happens to be a doctor, and uh, so well actually neuroscience, and she was talking about playing with her children and how it's actually helping her to stay in shape. So it's that that intergenerational thing that we were also talking about a, a few episodes ago. Why yes. that's important. Yeah, co-learning, co-playing, co-everything. But I think really the mentality that you're educated to go out and work in the world is why we need to know you need to continually have lifelong learning. And I'll bring up an example. Uh, David Deming uh, from Harvard did some research on M majors and science, technology, engineering, and math. And he looked at what happened uh, over the past 10 or 12 years when they graduated, because everyone was saying, oh my gosh, they have this earnings premium. I mean, the average uh, for uh, a, stu a college student is uh, 47,000. They make 69,000 coming out. Well, guess up, guess what? Within a decade, that earnings premium declines by 50%. And not only that, 58% of them are out of the field within 10 years. Why? Because they didn't upskill. They didn't stay current. So what they learned at a moment in time did not translate over time. And I think this idea of, of having to be responsible for upskilling, we're seeing it in businesses. You know, we're seeing it, we talked about this a few episodes ago where business people, you can no longer have a job, let's say even if you were in manufacturing, you now have to understand how to operate equipment. You have to be trained on types of um, equipment and processes that businesses are using to evolve and respond to the changes in the economy. Yeah, it, it brings me to a quote. It's by Jim Link of uh, Ronstad, who uh, says, adaptability, problem solving, creativity, influence, drive, empathy, and collaboration. What I've observed is that those things aren't being practiced by college graduates. No, because they're not taught in the system. You right. don't learn any of those things in a system that values conformity, compliance, and individual achievement. So we have an entire framework and that, that really keeps kids in dependency mode on institutional structures. And actually, Victor talked a lot of this in, even in the 60s. Even in the 1930s, there were issues with this. But in 1960s, he said that we have a mechanistic education where everybody learns, or not learns, because it's really not learning, but everyone has to adhere to specific external benchmarks not only does it create a void in their humanness that you know we talked about, mm -hmm. but also it makes them be subject to being a conformist, only wanting to do what other people do, or totalitarianism, which is to have somebody tell them what to do. Yeah. And that has taken our freedom away. And we don't even realize that how much this has happened in our system. And it, it, it really discourages exactly what we're talking about, which is the responsibility to upskill, continually learn, continually uh, process new ways of doing things. Uh, we're all having to do it. I mean, I've had to learn so much lately, and I know you have too. Like, how does this work? But I have to make it work because I need to communicate. 
And that's what we have to teach our kids is not teach them, but, but enable them, empower them to do is to say, I want to get there. So I need to go on YouTube. I need to do whatever. I need to figure it out myself, not depend on a classroom to teach it. So you're making me think about a couple of different things, which is, um, you know, it goes back to what Dr. I said and, and her, her model, her iceberg model that she uses, uh, knowledge, life skills, mindset. Now, there's so many students as well as parents and teachers. That middle point that I made, life skills, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, there, there, there are very few areas of the country that are teaching life skills. You need experience for life skills. You can't teach it, you know? I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, these, these skills cannot be learned by you telling people to do it. And the iceberg model, don't forget, that knowledge piece was the tip of the iceberg. Exactly. And it's a small part, right? It's right. the under the surface life skills and mindset that really enable uh, our students and our children to navigate adulthood and all this stuff that's going to be coming at them. And that's the part that we're missing. We're valuing this tiny tip of the iceberg and having them devote so much time and so much money. And when the iceberg part is really what they need to, to yeah. adapt to creative and critical think and whatever. So we have to look at how much time and energy we're putting in to this one component actually does not facilitate their ability to enter adult, to get jobs in the future. Those standardized telling in a bubble tells them there's a finite answer to things in life. There just isn't. Yeah, and, and like you said, the, the, um, the, 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 what is it? Sort of like the, um, the cream of the top is really below the surface. And that's, you know, your growth mindset, self-awareness. That's not something we talk a lot about, uh, as well as the entrepreneurial mindset. And entrepreneurs, when I think of entrepreneurs, they're like, all right, that didn't work. Can this work? Oh, that didn't work. How can I get this to work? Collaborate, ask questions, ask the right question. Feel free to fail. You know, I love that, that quote about failure is on the same side of, of the street of success. Mm -hmm. It's just further down the road. <laughs> yep. And many times because that's how we learn. I mean, you can even yes. watch a baby learning to walk and they stand up and they sit down and they stand up and they fall down and they stand up and they kind of wobble and then they walk. So it's not, we're, we're not allowing that process of learning, which struggle and failure is essential. And I see this with parents too, when, or even students, that we, that they struggle and somehow that's bad. It's like, I'm not supposed to be struggling. I'm not supposed to be having a hard time right now. Yes, you are. This is humanness. The struggle is the growth. We only grow during times when we're really str struggling to push forward. And it's what propels us forward if we allow the struggle but we don't, we try to pull them out of the struggle. We try to tell them that's not okay that you're having this struggle and you're not keeping up operating like a machine 24 a day and a programmable robot that really doesn't need sleep 
doesn't need to have diverse interests, doesn't need to have multi-generational relationships. We're saying you just need to have knowledge in your head and your life is going to be great. And oh my gosh, what we have done to this generation. Well, I, you know, I can use myself as an example about struggle and it took place from my graduating high school, going on to the University of Maryland and, and playing on the football team. So I, I go through those battery of tests and I just so happened to be the fastest guy on the team. And that included the veterans. So I'm an incoming freshman, fastest guy on the team, quarterback who has more confidence than the entire state is like, yes, this is awesome. And I didn't, I, you know, I was switching positions from a quarterback in high school to a wide receiver. So I had to learn that. So that was a process. The, I, don't, I don't know if I felt the pressure, but I definitely didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the mindset that I believed in myself enough to play. And I struggled and I got a little down on myself. And when you get down on yourself, sometimes you kind of go within, especially as guys, we go within and you don't say anything. You kind of go, ah, ah, woe is me. And you don't, you cocoon and you don't say anything. Then of course, the great thing about having a coach and teammates is that they're like, hey man, you can do this. You can, you can get this done. Here's what we need to practice. And that, that growth mindset started to come back again because of their encouragement, their continual encouragement. And then you go out and you continue to practice and something good happens. And you're like, oh, okay, I can do this. And then it starts to snowball. Now, in the relationship of, of my particular not playing that year, they had the redshirt me. So the quarterback who some people might know, who's Boomer Esiason, I didn't get a chance to actually play with him. Um, and um, so I had to wait a year, but my waiting a year allowed me to grow. And I had to go through the struggle. So I learned a lot about myself and, um, and I'm glad I did, you know, so it allowed me to grow as a person. Mm -hmm. um, well, yes. And I think that right now we're seeing many, many uh, parents and students decide on a gap year. I, I just had a call from yeah. someone the other day saying she's all of a sudden deciding that she might want to wait. We had encouraged that because I we have this generation that's just been on this conveyor belt told they have to go to college. And again, college is fine for those who know what they're doing, have a mature mindset, have financial wherewithal that, that really uh, needs that. But if you don't, it is a waste of time and money. And uh, I think that having us, kind of flip the paradigm right now and say, rather than putting them on the trajectory uh, to college, let make them put them out in the world, let them discover who they are, how they fit in, and where they got, want to go next. You no longer have to go to college out of high school. 25% of college students are over the age of 25. You can do college in many, many, many ways now. So that degree, we can make this bite-sized, we can make it affordable, we can make it so they can pivot. Uh, I use the example of nurses. You know, now if you want somebody to be a nurse, great, go get your phlebotomy certificate for 10 to 12 weeks, go work and draw blood and find out if it's an area you're interested in. Maybe you're interested in x-ray technician, maybe you're interested in different aspects other than going into nursing, which does require a lot of time and it's very difficult to get in. 
So, or take your time and do it. Do your, you know, kind of what I call the stair step of getting to where you want to go financially and emotionally stable doing it. Yeah, I do think uh, that's a great option, a gap year. I was just literally talking last week with a professor who said, you know, um, we, she, we were talking specifically about students of color. And she goes, you know, I think that's a really good option for students of color to give them that opportunity to, to get some experience beyond the high school level. And, 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 and like you said, figure out what pathway they may want to go down. Mm -hmm. So, cause that's, you know, that's that reflective process that's required. And, and I actually think like when you really do those types of things, then down the road, you don't necessarily have what we call the midlife crisis <laughs> because <laughs> you've lived what everyone else has been telling you what to do instead of living the life that you have designed for yourself. Well, my dream is that we start doing that in high school. That And again, we're seeing this around the country where there's different places led by parents, led by educators, led by businesses that are creating these environments where kids can go and explore while they're in high school and begin to get those experiences that they don't have to take a gap year because they figure this out during their teenage years by working part-time jobs, by doing internships. I mean, I think in, in particular with disadvantaged students, we've got to mentor up come on. I mean, we have got to uh, create the um, umbrella or of mentorship and guides that they can tap to. Tim Salau, I think we've talked about this before. He and Mike Yates have a, a group called Guides, which is exactly that, which is trying to match uh, people to mentor students, uh, particularly those in disadvantaged areas, and help them in their field of interest. So there'll be someone says, hey, I'm interested in filmmaking. Is there, are there any mentors out there that can take some, some time to guide me? Uh, you know, even via the internet, right? You can do it on Skype or FaceTime or Zoom or whatever other platform you want to just encourage and guide and share the expertise. Because really, we are only as good a community or a culture as we are the healthy health of our individuals. And really the Maasai warriors used to say, uh, as they're greeting, how are the children? And the response, all the children are well. Our children are not well. So we have got to create the health and well-being of our children to create the health and well-being of our society overall. And so that's what our advocacy is. You know, I call myself a meaning, meaningful education advocate. I just believe so strongly in honoring the unique individual, honoring their ability to do read and discover their, their meaning. And our job is to create the environments, multi-generational, multi, multi uh, in many different environments, many different kinds of experiences to allow them to do that. Well, Pam, you just nailed it again. So thank you. We'd love to hear your comments, suggestions, whether you agree or disagree with what we're sharing uh, about lifelong learning. So if you have any comments, please feel free to share them with us. We'd love to have your, you have your viewpoint and your perspective because that's how we learn and that's how we get better. So with that being said, Pam, thank you very much. This has been thank awesome you. as always. This is so much fun. Yes. <laughs> so much fun <laughs> it really is i mean and that's the thing like it's just just us coming together you know building a relationship 
communicating, using social media to build that platform and collaborate. Mm -hmm. So trust can be built through social media. Mm -hmm. It's true. <laughs> Until next time. Thank you, everyone.